Robert Grant was born in India in 1779, the son of a director of the East India Company. He penned some wonderful words and a much-loved hymn. O worship the King, all glorious above, O gratefully sing his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendour and girded in praise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that you are the King all-glorious, our shield and defender. You are pavilioned in splendour and girded in praise. As the psalmist says, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendour and majesty. You wrap yourself in light as a garment and stretch out the heavens like a tent. You make the clouds your chariot and ride on the wings of the wind. Lord, how can we start to understand your might and power or comprehend your greatness? This morning we celebrate your lordship and give you thanks and praise for your unfailing faithfulness, your great power and your immeasurable love, love that is never-ending. Father, forgive us for the times we forget to acknowledge your lordship and simply come to you in prayer with our list of wishes and concerns. Forgive us when we let our own problems overshadow our acknowledgement of who you are, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Lord, we confess our need for you. We thank you for your presence, for truth that you never leave us. We thank you that you accept us as we are, that you call us to yourself as your children, bringing us hope and refreshment and meaning and purpose in life. Lord, may each of us be drawn close to you. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit and may we be open to your purposes being outworked in our lives. Lord, this morning as we prepare for tonight's special event, we pray for missions. We think of those we support overseas, particularly Pastor Andrew and his team in Myanmar and Pastor John and his team in Ghana. We thank you for work these men are doing, preaching the gospel and sharing your love in practical ways with their local communities. We pray for political situation in Myanmar and the risk of persecution that Pastor Andrew faces each day. We pray for the school that Pastor John is building and for the new churches that are being planted in Ghana. Lord, may these men, their families and their teams be encouraged as they seek to serve you and share the gospel. We pray too for Pastor Barry Silverback, who continues to work tirelessly for overseas mission work. Thank you, Lord, for upholding him, his wife Rosalie, and his family over many, many years. Lord, we pray for the next generation of missionaries to continue the work that Barry has pioneered. We pray for those you are calling into this work at this time. We pray for safety and favour as they step out in obedience. May doors that have been closed swing wide open by divine influence. 
May those they come into contact with be open and willing to hear and receive the life-altering truth of the gospel. Lord, show us how we can support those who are called to full-time service in both our own country and overseas. Speak to each of us and guide us. Show us how to use the gifts and talents that you have given us to make a contribution, whether by prayer, a letter or word of encouragement, financial support or other creative means. We pray for tonight's curry night. Thank you for Kasturi and Sharesh and their willingness to use their culinary skills to bless us and to bless missions. We pray too for Sam and Joe and their family as they lead our fellowship. Give them wisdom in all they do. Lord, we pray for one another. May we each be domestic missionaries sharing the hope and love of Christ with those we come into contact with. So many in our country have been shown a false view of what it means to follow Christ. We pray that the Holy Spirit will bring them into contact with people who can share words of encouragement and guidance that show your true heart and love for them. May the Spirit inspire each of us to offer the right words at the right time and in the right way. Help us to be open to your Spirit, knowing when to speak and when to listen. Help us to proclaim your name, to walk in boldness, rooted in you, standing firm and without fear. Help all of those serving you, including us, to hold firm to the truth that you have overcome the world. May all know your comfort and peace and have the reassurance that their work is not in vain. Pour out peace and security over them like gentle rain, reminding them that you call them your good and faithful servants. We pray for spiritual protection around all serving you, so that no attack or plot of the enemy may be successful. We pray that they may all know that at all times angels surround them, especially in the midst of difficulties. Returning to the words of Robert Grant, we declare, O measureless might, unchangeable love, whom angels delight to worship above, your ransomed creation with glory ablaze, in true adoration shall sing to your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. That's good. Good morning, church. That's great. Hey, it's wonderful to be sharing with you again, and I just want to uh, extend the welcome that Andrew and Kathy gave. If you're new, uh, my prayer is that you would uh, sense God's love for you, uh, His presence here, and His voice uh, speaking and encouraging you in your circumstance and in your life. And if you're watching online, that goes for you too. Uh, perhaps you're listening to this in the car as a podcast. Uh, I trust that God's going to be speaking to you this morning and, uh, yeah, really ministering to your life and to your heart. I want to start this morning uh, a bit differently. I just want to share with you an encouraging word. And um, this came to me because... I had a dream, and we've been we've been going through Acts, 
And uh, Peter in Acts quoted from the prophet Joel that said, in those days the, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I had my birthday the other day, so obviously I've just sort of gone over that threshold of now I'm the old man because I had a dream and normally I don't remember my dreams. Uh, I wake up and can't remember what, what I dreamt, but I had a dream the other night and it was very vivid and I woke up and I could remember kind of word for word what I was saying. So I want to share it with you as an encouragement before we begin this morning. And that was I was standing here and I was speaking to the, you beautiful people and I had in my hand what looked like a jumble of string or sticks. It was all messed up. Um, and I was saying to you, this is God's gift for you. And and you kind of you, I actually sort of drew a picture of it, kind of there you go, that's God's gift to you. It's an interesting gift. Maybe it's a unexpected gift, <laughs> and it's not what you expect. And that's what I went on to say um, that sometimes the things of God are not what we expect. Sometimes what God has for us and wants to share in our lives are different to what we thought they would be or believe that they should be. Perhaps they look messy. Perhaps they look not neat and tidy, which is kind of what we expect God's gifts for us to be. And I was holding this thing and I was saying, this is, God wants to give this to you to add to your life. And there's some blank faces, as there might be some blank faces now. How's this jumbled up mess of string and sticks or this thing going to fit into our lives? And then I went on to speak about I love gardening and I love the, the concepts and the pictures that gardening bring into Scripture. And we make our own compost at home. And compost really is messy. It's, it's our rubbish that then is... It changes and it's something that is good that when incorporated into the soil, when it's dug into the soil, it allows that soil to bring life and growth and purpose for the plants. And what I saw was us, and remember early on at the church when we first moved in here, we talked about the trees and the pot plants. As you uncover a pot plant, what does it look like with all of its roots and all of its mess? It looks a bit like that, doesn't it? But as we incorporate what God has for us and what we have, they mesh together to bring something that is complete and whole and beautiful and that creates growth and goodness in our lives. And the gaps in our lives are filled with the things of God and the things that we have God uses in his purposes and and goodness. So I want to encourage you this morning to be open to God, that his word might be something that's different than you expect. You might be an egg beater. (laughs) You're expecting something different. might be something that's outside of the box or the realm of a call on your life that you think, that can't be me. Be open because the things of God are so often different to what we expect them to be. We're going to see an example of that in today's scripture, that we serve an extraordinary God who does extraordinary things. And be open 
to the Spirit speaking to your life. And maybe through this series, as we've been going through the book of Acts, there's been some maybe some doctrinal things or maybe some truth things that have come out in Scripture that you're kind of going, that's not what I was expecting. That's a bit messy. That's different to my upbringing. That's different to what I expected the Christian life to be. Maybe God's saying, be open to embracing those truths, embracing that mess into your life, incorporating it into who you are to allow you to grow into who God is calling you to be. May that be a blessing to you this morning and a word for you in your heart. I could probably sit down now. We've been going through the book of Acts and we've been uh, teaching through it. If you're new or if you're watching for the first time, uh, we've been teaching through the book of Acts kind of chapter by chapter and we are in the middle of Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, last week we sort of stopped halfway through chapter 19. We're going to complete chapter 19 uh, this morning, hopefully. And we are in the middle of the journey Uh, Once again, Paul is sent from Antioch, the sending church, and Paul makes his way to Ephesus. And really, the whole of his third missionary journey really is centred around what happens in Ephesus. There's a a revival that breaks out, really, and the gospel spreads uh, in, in a similar way to what we saw in Jerusalem to the Jewish community, now to the Greek, to the Gentile world. This is kind of another example of the gospel just going out and affecting that whole region. In fact, uh, we left last week uh, with verse 10 where it said Paul was Paul came upon a new kind of ministry endeavour where he didn't have to go to town to town, place to place, and it wasn't up to him to set up churches, but he stayed in Ephesus for two years. This was the longest he stayed anywhere in his whole ministry life. He stayed there for two years in this hall of Tyrannus where he rented this hall and he basically had a Bible college where the disciples would come and they would hear the word of God, they'd be trained up, they'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they would go out and they would reach uh, the surrounding towns. And so all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia, Asia Minor, heard the word of the Lord. Now, isn't that a wonderful statement? That all who, who lived in that province heard the word of the Lord. That's a great picture for us as a church, that we come together, that we're edified by the word, that we're trained up, that we're empowered and that we go out and we are the ones that, that uh, completely transform a, a whole region. Imagine if we could say all the, all the Jews and Greeks of Blackwood or Adelaide Foothills heard the word of the Lord. Amen? Because In Revelation 2 and 3, John writes to the churches in this region, and the ones in yellow are the churches that we, uh, that uh, John writes to in, in Revelation. And we have these, these churches, Sardis, those ones, Philadelphia, I can say that one, uh, (laughs) and, and Ephesus. But did Paul go to these towns? He didn't go to those towns, and yet they're the churches that are in that region because the church was empowered to go out, 
share the gospel and church planting in that whole region. And then John later comes and encourages the churches in those regions. So, so the Jews and Greeks lived in the province of Asia, heard the word of the Lord. That's where we've, we've, we left off. So amazing things are happening in, in uh, Ephesus. And then now following on in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. We talked about an extraordinary God before, didn't we? Uh, Luke lists here that these are extraordinary miracles. In fact, they're quite unusual. They're out of the box. They're not what you expect. Normally we'd see the miracles of, of healing or demonic kind of things. But here... So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him, that is Paul, were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Pretty, pretty amazing thing that's going on here. Uh, handkerchiefs, really it's, it's the sweat band. So Paul was a tent maker and so he's uh, making tents and he's got a sweat band around his brow that sort of takes the sweat to, as he's working hard and the apron's got you know, oil and dirt and stuff all over him. And in his normal, normal work attire would then go t- out to the sick and those who touched it would be healed. So this is kind of an extraordinary, amazing experience. Again, not what you expect, right? Not what you see in, in other places because God does extraordinary things and unexpected things. But I also want to look at this uh, verse in verse 11 because I think it's one of those things that we can easily skip over, but it's a profound verse because it says a lot. Now, in the NIV, it says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Some other translations might say something along the lines of, and God allowed Paul to do extraordinary miracles. I don't think that's kind of what is actually in the true meaning of the original Greek. Got a couple of different translations here. The ESV says it beautifully. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. New King James also says that. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Here we have a beautiful statement that sums up really the book of Acts. God was doing. Remember when Peter and Philip and even Paul are confronted by who, who, by whose name are you doing this or who's enabling all these amazing things to happen and their responses are, I'm just a man, I'm, I'm nobody, it's, it's nothing to do with me, it's the power of God, it's the Holy Spirit at work that is doing it. And so here we have a profound statement that it is God who's doing extraordinary miracles and they are extraordinary if we think about the things that happened through Acts by the hands of Paul. Do you know, God used ordinary men and women throughout the book of Acts to do extraordinary things, but they were just like you and I. God used the hands of Paul to do amazing things. And it's the same today. God is looking around his church and he is looking for hands to use. He is looking for mouths to use in his purposes and his work in the world. And so I can change this to the 
to the now context, God is doing, and we're trusting and we're believing that God will do extraordinary miracles by the hands of dot, 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 you, me, the church. Are we open and willing every day to say, Lord, use my hands. Lord, use my feet. Lord, use my mouth to do extraordinary things, not because I'm anything but because you, God, are the one that works. A profound verse. Now, some Jews, there's always some Jews, this, I, I, I don't know about you, but when you read certain stories in the Bible, there, there are some things that are quite humorous and funny. Um, I think this next passage is one of those. Um, in fact, next chapter, when we get to chapter 20, when a, a young man falls out because of Paul's preaching, I think that's hilarious too. We'll get to that. But I think this is, is, this is quite funny. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over who those who were demon-possessed. So there were, there were some Jews who sort of did this as a business. They'd go around and they would uh, try and drive out evil spirits. And they're seeing that there is power in the name of Jesus. They're seeing that God is doing extraordinary things. And so they're thinking, hey, how can we get hold of like the, the, the special recipe, you know, the, the special magic saying or something to allow something good to happen that makes us look good, okay? It's very different to what the disciples did. They want to make God look good. These people want to make themselves look good. And so they're trying to invoke the name of Jesus that was doing wonderful, powerful things. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, oh, whom Paul preaches, we, we don't even know who this Jesus is, but the one that, that Paul's talking about, yeah, now c- come out. So they're trying to kind of get hold of, of the power of, of Christ. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, they were doing this. So they're going along, they're saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And one day the evil spirit answered them, well, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> I, th- I think that's quite funny. Um, <clears throat> but what's actually happening here is that without a connection and a relationship with Christ, we can't call on his name. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we sang about that this morning, Christ in us. You see, Paul was able to call on the name of the Lord because he knew who Jesus was and he had a relationship. And the evil spirit rightly said, well, I know, Je- I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Like, you're, if, if we try and, and take on evil without having a relationship with Christ, we're in vulnerable ground very vulnerable ground, and we can run away naked and bleeding as a consequence. In Matthew 7, when Jesus said, um, some of you will, will drive out spirits and some of you will prophesy, but, but then he says, but who, who are you? I, I don't know you. What's more important is our relationship with him than, than what we can do in his name. 
So there's a result of this commotion. It's a crazy thing that happens, but the story gets out in Ephesus. And the story then has an ongoing effect on the whole of that region. So when this became known, the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. I love this. And the name of the Lord was held in high honour. When God works, when people see the truth and the power of God at work, he is held in high honour. And my prayer would be that we as a church, as we, we lift up the name of Jesus, as God works through us, that people would not see us, but they would see Christ and that he would be held in high honour, that we would be making his name famous. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. So the, the work of God is now uh, uh, revealing people's sin and they're, they're coming and they're going, in comparison to the power of God, I now need to sort of get my life right and need to get my life back on track. So many who believed came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls, their books, together and they burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. So someone's tried to calculate that based on a day's wage and things like that, over a million dollars in today's money. In that way, the word of the Lord spread, there it is again, and grew in great power. Pretty amazing result of that story that happened to the sons of Sceva. And many would sort of look at a passage like this. I remember um, back in my youth group days, um, Joe and I would, would go to another church in the evening and be part of a, a home group in that, in that church as young adults. And, and one pastor had used this passage to talk about anything that is not of God in your life, you have to get rid of. And so these, these young adults were so um, passionately taken by this word and they, they got all of their, their music that wasn't Christian and they went up to Mount Lofton and they threw it off the mountain and they're sort of, we're, we're following scripture in like burning, burning these, these things. One of, one of these young men was a musician and he was a bass player and he just loved the melody of Sting you know, the, the, the um, artist Sting. And I remember uh, like a week later talking to them, him and he was like devastated because he just wanted to get home after a hard day's work and listen to the, the beauty of Sting, the musician, and he couldn't because he'd thrown the CDs off the thing. So what this is saying is it's not saying to get rid of everything that isn't Christian, it's, it's getting rid of the demonic things. It's getting rid of the evil things in our lives. The Bible is very clear when it says, have nothing to do with evil. And these people realised that. And so the, the first sort of takeaway thing is if, if we are dabbling with or interested in or you know, trying to, to get hold of anything that is, is not of God but is of evil, we should be burning it. We should be ridding it of our lives and ridding it out of our homes. But the second thing is that is the cost. 
it's really interesting that Luke talks about the cost of these books and these scrolls. They, they would have been, been worth something. But for the Christians there, the worth of these were insurmountable to the worth of knowing Christ. Yes, they may have been expensive, but it was nothing in comparison to the worth of being in relationship with him and having his power in their lives. Thirdly, quite often people practiced sorcery and the occult because they were trying to control what was uncontrollable. They, in our lives, there are certain things that we can't control and we like to be in control, don't we? And so they would participate in things to try and make sense of the world or trying to control or have insight into the things that we shouldn't have. Um, Carol came and spoke to the youth on Friday night and she, we were talking about prayer and she had this statement which was, worry is a conversation with ourselves about things we can't control, but prayer is a conversation with God about things he can control. And that's precisely what's happening here, is that people are realising that there's no power in these things of, of sorcery or the occult, but there is a greater power that can actually give insight into those things. So the occult, they might that there might be health issues that they so they come up with some potion to try and control. Uh, they might think about their future and what does my future hold? Well, I don't know, so maybe I'll have insights into what my future holds. Or maybe I want to be protected from suffering and, and the world around me, so I'll do these things to try and protect me. Or I want to have prosperity or, or wealth or success or things in my life. And so they, they involve themselves in these things to try and make those things happen. When the power of God moved in Ephesus, the people saw the, the silliness and the, the non-power of those things that had no ability over their future, over their health, over their prosperity, over whatever. However, the name of Jesus and Christ in their lives had significant impact on all those areas. So Jesus is supreme and rules over all of those things, and those other things seem worthless. Those other things have no power compared to the power of Christ. And that's what Paul was going on saying everywhere he went. These idols that you have, these so-called gods, are, are no gods at all. They're just made by human hands. They're just things of stone. They're things of wood. They have no power. They, they can't tell you your future. They can't heal you. They can't um, give you prosperity. They can't protect you. But God can. And they're seeing the folly of their ways and they're willing to just get rid of it. And so it should be with us, us in our lives. Paul reminds the Ephesians, you were once taught in regard to your former way of life to put all off the old self, to put away the old way of doing things, the old trust in things that, that have no power, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says the same thing in Colossians as well. And so if you want to know true power, come to the power of the cross because there there is no greater power displayed than Jesus dying on the cross for you and me to take away our sin, to bring us into right relationship with him, the supremacy of Christ. And skipping over a few verses where Luke just talks about people who went different ways, we're going to go on to verse 23. About that time arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, the way was the Christian church. And I love that they were called the way in the early days. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And these followers are called the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought a lot of business in for the craftsmen there. He called them all together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Here it is. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Yep. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now, what's happening here is there is a, a silversmith and he's probably head of the guild of silversmiths and craftsmen and he's getting his people together and he's, he's saying, you know what, we're, we're about to be out of business here. If, if, if these little trinkets that we make of, of the, the god Artemis or Diana, um, if this Diana is proven to be nothing, then no one's going to buy these things and we're going to be out of money. And so he's got a hidden agenda. His agenda is that he wants to make money, but he couches it in this pretense of, of the name of this Artemis, this god, being defiled or, or being robbed of her divine majesty. But he's got a secret agenda, and that is that he's going to be losing out if this is the case. Now, in Ephesus... The, the story goes there was a meteorite that fell from heaven and it was picked up and it looked like the shape of a, of a young lady and they made this into a god. And I've got a picture of it here. This is the goddess Diana and it was said that it was thrown down from heaven to earth. And I've got to say if I had that, I would probably want to throw it out as well. Um, based on how it looks, but this was a uh, a goddess, a um, and and she had a temple, and this is the leftovers of the temple in Ephesus. That it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, and uh, an artist has tried to sort of depict what it would have looked like. And so this this silversmith is saying. You know what? Um, as all these tourists and people come, just like when you go to the Eiffel Tower, you get a little 
little Eiffel Tower or you go to the Colosseum, you get a little thing to take home. They're making these little souvenirs for people to take home and, and to have by themselves. And if this Diana, if this Artemis god is no god at all, then this is going to go away and we're going to lose money. So a riot starts. So when these silversmiths, when these craftsmen heard about it, they were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in uproar. And the people seed Gaius and Aristocrus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theatre together. So there's this big commotion. And what I love is that they're in this great theatre and Paul wants to go out to them. He's thinking, hey, here's a, here's a captive audience. This is a great opportunity right now. But the people there are like holding him back and even friends of Paul who were officials of the province. So Paul's obviously having a, a great uh, influence over there, not just the, the religious but also the, the officials as well. They sent a message to him begging, don't go into the theatre. There's this crazy riot going on and they're, they're after you. Similar thing that we've seen all through Paul's missionary journeys, right? <laughs> they're after Paul. Paul's going... No, let me at him. This is, this is a great opportunity. If you've ever been to Ephesus, here's the theatre. It held 25,000 people in its day. Amazing piece of architecture. I've got a, a sight from the sky. Isn't that amazing? So the whole of Ephesus are in uproar. There's a riot and, and from the streets they all end up here in this theatre and they're, they're all there and they're all shouting and, and, after, and Paul's like, man, check out the ambience, check out the, I'll be able to speak and I'll be able to have this amazing audience, this is going to be good and they're, they're holding him back. And again, this is, this is hilarious. The assembly was in confusion. Some of them were shouting one thing, some of them were shouting another most people didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> yeah, we're writing. Yeah, we're angry. What are we angry about? I don't know, but we're angry. <laughs> the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, so he was a, a, a Jewish leader, and they, and they shouted instructions to him, and he motioned for silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realised that he was a Jew, they shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Is there a second verse? No. Great is Artemis of two hours. Imagine that for two hours. But the city clerk quietened down the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell down from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and do nothing rash. You have brought these men here. They have, they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. In other words, let's follow proper order here. They can press charges, and if there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in the legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger. So they were a free 
area, but they were still under Roman governance and they could have been in danger of rioting and the Romans could have come in and closed them down. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion. Since there is no reason for it, after he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Now, this is the second time in Paul's third missionary journey where the secular government come into his defence. And because of that, the gospel is able to spread. Pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty incredible thing that happened. But Paul is preaching that this, this Diana, this Artemis, is no God at all. And if we think about it, it's true. And history has made it plain. If we look at the ruin of her temple, if we look at the ruin of the theatre, in fact, it's pretty sad, but all of Ephesus... <laughs> is no longer a city. It's just now a great place for archaeologists to dig up ancient things. Yet it used to be the very centre of Christianity in that region that had an amazing impact on the whole world. So Diana, she's gone and passed. The Ephesians are gone and passed. But it's pretty sad that even the Ephesian church is no longer present in that area. Well, once a church that had huge influence where uh, revival was breaking out, where God was doing miraculous and unusual things, that church is no longer there. And I was thinking about that as, as I was preparing for this morning, and I was thinking about the, the letter that John wrote in, in uh, Revelation as... as God's scribe, he writes to the church. He says these words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships in my name and have not grown weary. Well done, church of all the good things that you've done, the good deeds, the hard work, the labour, the, the, the word going forward. Yet he says to the Ephesian church, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. And as I think about the church in Ephesus, I wonder if all the activity and all the work became what church and life was all about and that they'd forgotten their first love. They've forgotten their relationship. Like when Jesus was with Mary and Martha, and and Martha was working and deeding and hard work, and yes, it's a good thing, and yes, we need to be working and doing stuff, but it comes out of a position and a place that Mary found at the feet of Jesus in her relationship with him. Jesus said to Martha, Mary has found the better place. And John, Jesus says to the Ephesian church, you've forgotten your first love. Come back to that. That is of first and foremost important before any work, before any good, good thing. 
And so I want to go backwards over my message this morning and I want to encourage you as I get the uh, musos to come up. We talk all through this series to be listening to the voice of God and for Jesus, we believe, is speaking to people. And there's three things really that I feel like the Lord is maybe bringing out of the mess of string this morning, and that is, have you forgotten your first love? In this world of busyness and doing and your diary being full, which is all good, have you forgotten what it means to just come and sit at the feet of Jesus, to be ministered to by him, for him to speak to your heart, for him to say, I love you, I've redeemed you, I call you by name, you're mine. Come and receive from me. Perhaps this morning as we sing this song, you just need to sit and remember your first love. Be filled again with the Spirit. Know that His loving arms are around you and that nothing else compares. Perhaps for some of you is the second thing, that there are some things in your life that He's calling you to get rid of. There are things in your home or in your routine that you put worth in or that you think have power. But really they are nothing compared to the supremacy and the the full power of Christ in you. Is God calling you to set aside those things, to burn them, to be rid of them in your life, that you might be holy and blameless in his sight? And thirdly, perhaps God is calling you to be his hands for him to work wonderful miracles through you as you wake up tomorrow would you pray the prayer Lord use me, use my hands in the places that I go the people that I speak to the avenues in which I have influence Lord do unusual profound miraculous things through me Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that encourages and inspires. Lord, I thank you for every person here that they are, they are not here by mistake, but you have ordained this moment that you desire to speak into every person's heart and every person's life. Lord, for one of those things... Help us all to be open to the unexpected, to be open to you speaking in ways that we think aren't, couldn't possibly be God. But when we incorporate them into our lives, we can see, Lord, that you are doing a miraculous and amazing thing, an unexpected thing. Lord, would you come and do unexpected things this morning? For those who need to sit at your feet, Lord, would you touch their lives? For those who need to be honest and be rid of things in their lives, would you come and give them the power to do so? And for those inspired right now for a new call on their life, 
a new thing in their life to be involved in, that they can be like Peter and like Paul, like, like everyone that we read in Acts, ordinary men and women, but used because they have open hands, willing to be used because you are a God that does extraordinary things. So Lord, as we come and sing now, minister to us. Spirit, work through this place. Touch our lives and our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. to a close this morning. If you would like to pray with anyone, please join us in the prayer room afterwards and uh, there'll be people there who would love to pray with you. So thank you, Sam, for your encouraging word today and please join us for tea and coffee and we look forward to seeing you tonight for the curry night. God bless.